WGHAM, Newport News, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, 1310, The Power. It's time for the Anderson Law Power Hour on 1310, The Power, with attorney Tim Anderson and host Mark Rollison. All right, all right, all right, everybody. It's another beautiful Saturday morning here with attorney Tim Anderson. This is the Anderson Law Power Hour. Welcome, of course, as we ask you to call 800-1000. As we welcome you to the Anderson Law Power Hour, the views expressed in this broadcast are solely those of the participants of the show and do not necessarily reflect the views held by Max Media or its affiliates. This broadcast is hosted by a very sharp attorney here in Hampton Roads, Attorney Tim Anderson. Now, results in any legal case are never guaranteed, and previous results are no indication of future results. Participating in the show, you realize it's for informational purposes only. There is no attorney-client relationship or privilege. Also, by calling, you acknowledge that your voice may be used as part of the broadcast. Advice given by attorney Tim Anderson on this show is not a replacement to consulting with an attorney directly about your case. Anderson Law is a firm located at 2492 North Landing Road, Suite 104 in Virginia Beach. With satellite offices in Chesapeake, Hampton, and Elizabeth City. You're ready for the show? Yep. Let's welcome attorney Tim Anderson. How you doing, Bob? Good morning, Hampton Roads. All right, all right, all right. Been another great day, man. So, yes, it will be. We're going to have a great time. So, to start the show off, and for those who have already tuned into our Facebook Live, uh, we are giving away uh, four packs of Tides baseball tickets again, May 7th. A lot of people uh, call me after the show is over, but if you would like them and have these tickets for yourself, they're free. All you have to do is call our studio lines, 800-1000. First four people to call in, or actually first three people to call in, will get these four-pack of... Uh, Tickets. So this is a May 7th game uh, at 635, totally free. Just got to make the phone call, 800-1000. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to see the Tides. I'm going to Harbor Park. Beautiful, by the way. It is a gorgeous yeah. place. Looking forward to it. So today's the Kentucky Derby, so if you have any hot tips, give them to me because uh, <laughs> I have been the worst horse picker over the past hey, couple hey, years. Hey, you're a lawyer. You can't. <laughs> so I'm going to try to do uh, the trifecta this year. I'm just going to do one, two, three. I mean, there's all right. just all you can do. There's no way to pick it. And so I'm just going to do one, two, three. If you have anything that you want to uh, give me tips on, I'll be ta- taking those as well. So today's <laughs> topics are going to be adoption and guardianship in Virginia. So we're going to deal with uh, adoptions of children and then guardianships of uh, adults. So let's uh, let's kind of jump into that. Now, this is a live call-in radio show. Mm-hmm. You can call my office number at 800-1000 to speak to me. It'll come right here to the studio. And we, we can talk about something else other than that. Or you can ask questions right here on Facebook Live. I can see there's people tuning in watching this show. So if you have questions, feel free to call us uh, at the studio at 800-1000 or just post your question right here on Facebook, and I will get to it. Now, Keep in mind, uh, this is being broadcast out to 10 million people in Hampton Roads, so maybe don't say anything super specific or give any names. Uh, Don't embarrass anybody, but if you have a general question, feel free to uh, ask that out, and we'll be happy to address that if we can. And if I can't answer it, then I will tell you somebody who can. All right, so let's start with adoptions. Now, the most common type of adoption that a lawyer will deal with is something called a step-parent adoption. This is a situation where a uh, spouse has a a child and that the parent of the child uh, no longer wants to, the biological parent of the child no longer wants to be a part of that child's life. Now this um, mother or father, we'll just say the mother in this case, the mother has a child and the father doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Now the mother's married another guy and 
and he wants to step in and become the biological parent or you know the adoptive parent of the child so the process of doing a step-parent adoption is basically a two-fold process. The first one is, is that inside of the adoption, we have to terminate the parental rights of the biological uh, father, or a mother could be either one. We're just going to say father for this because it's just going to have to get into a rhythm here. So we have to get the consent of the father to do that. So the, the first part of the petition says, I am the biological father, and I consent to the termination of my parental rights. The second part of the petition then says, I'm the stepdad of this child, and I want to adopt this child. So the child's biological parent is terminated, and the step-parent is appointed all at the same time. So when the order is entered, the child becomes an orphan for a half a second because the child's uh, biological father is terminating and then half a second later the uh, when the judge finishes signing his name then the parent becomes the step parent becomes the adoptive father now let's talk about the the implications of adopting a child it's a big deal when you become the adoptive parent of a child you are in the shoes of the biological parent for every everything the law could say, you are in those in that shoes of the biological parent. So if you die, your adoptive child shares your inheritance uh, just alongside with your biological children. If you are entitled to some type of an award and, and your family is able to uh, obtain that award, your adoptive child stands in the, in the exact same shoes as your biological children. If you and your spouse divorce, the adoptive parent can move for custody. So you, you could have a biological child with another, another man, another woman, and then you, uh, you go through a, an adoption, a step-parent adoption, and then find yourself in a divorce, and then the step-parent is getting custody of your biological child. And so the, the adoption gives tremendous, tremendous rights to the adoptive parent, and it gives tremendous rights to the child uh, as essentially the law treats them as essentially being born to, the, to this adoptive parent. Now, you can actually even amend the birth certificate in Virginia. So if the biological parent name is on the birth certificate as the biological father or biological mother, you can have a adoptive parent come in and actually physically change that birth certificate. So, you know, down the road when the birth certificate is issued, the, the child sees that this, uh, this person is their biological, you know, biological parent for all extents and purposes under the law. You can change the name of the child. Uh, during the adoption process. You can change the first name. You can change the middle name. You can change the last name. Most commonly, we're changing the last name because par part of the whole step-parent adoption thing is, is that the mother has the same name as the husband and the child has some other name. Or maybe the maiden name of the mother or maybe the biological father's last name. And so we are bringing this child into the fold and usually we're changing the last name. Doesn't have to be, but that, that often is the case. <clears throat> so you can do a step-parent adoption at any time in Virginia. 
once the mother and father have been married and they've lived together for at least six months in the county where you live in, then you can file that step-parent adoption at any time. Now, keep in mind, this does require the consent of the father. <clears throat> or the, again, I'm saying father, but it could be the other way. It could be the mother who's giving up the rights. But you have to have the consent of the party who's terminating their parental rights. So how do you get that? And that's a, uh, a, a tough conversation to have in some circumstances. And in other circumstances, it's a very easy conversation to have. There are certainly people out there that want nothing to do with their children. And then there are other people out there that are kind of on the fence about it. Terminating parental rights is a very big deal because when you terminate a parental right, then that biological parent has no legal basis to the child at all. No more than I would have to your child. So once you terminate your parental rights, that person is essentially a stranger to the child, legally and in all aspects of the law physically. So he won't be able to check in on grades, won't be able to check in on how the child's doing. If the child gets hurt, he would have no right to medical records. It's done. You're just mm. terminated. Ooh. So it's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so you have to have somebody who's very committed to that idea that they don't want to have anything to do with this child. And you know the, uh, the other thing is, is that the child at some point in time when he's old enough or she's old enough to know what happened is going to know that their parent terminated their parental rights voluntarily and consensually. And that, that will probably breed some type of uh, animosity down the road if that parent tries to come back in and try to reconcile that relationship as an adult. So that's a, a very serious conversation that you have to have with a, uh, the biological parent. Now, there are circumstances where you may not know who the biological parent is. This happens quite often, and, you know, in, in our time especially. A uh, mother may have a child and not know uh, with specificity who the biological father is. And so the law allows us to publish something in the newspaper about uh, this adoption and allows us to say that we don't know who this biological father was. But if you knew this woman and you had relationships with this woman in June of 2008 when the conception occurred, this is your time to step forward and say, hey, this is my, this is my child. If they don't, then the law allows us to sever that unknown biological father's rights in the, uh, in the method of serving them through the newspaper. Now, a lot of times it, in non-marriage situations, the father may not find himself on the birth certificate. So just because the father is not on the birth certificate doesn't mean that the father is divested of parental rights. So you don't have to be on the birth certificate to be the dad. Uh, in fact, in Virginia, once the child is born, uh, there is a statement that can be signed uh, and filed with Virginia that says, I'm the putative father, and that is uh, the law. There doesn't have to be a DNA test. You can literally sign that. Both you and the mom sign that, and then the father has that right. And, of course, if uh, the mother refuses to sign that, you can. there's procedures of getting a DNA test and having a court order that if necessary. But just because the parent isn't on the birth certificate doesn't mean that you can use this publication method to terminate the parental rights. So you do have to have uh, truly no notice of who this 
uh, biological father is to to use the publication method. And you know, it might be somewhat embarrassing because you got to put your name out there in the newspaper saying you have a kid and you don't know who the dad is. But that is something that uh, that does exist if you don't know who the father is. All right. So once all of that is done and the order is entered, then then you can take that to Social Security. You can take that to the DMV if the child's driving. You can take it anywhere you want, and then that child can have their name changed and do all of the things that, that you want to do. And that child is uh, permanently and locked in for uh, the remainder of your life. And there's no way as, a, as an adoptive parent to terminate that order unless you go through the same termination proceedings that the biological father just went through. So you'd have to terminate your parental rights and, and do all of those things. It's, it's a done deal. So you can do a adoption like this uh, until the child turns 18. Once the child is an adult, there is even a procedure where you can adopt an adult child uh, in a step-parent kind of a situation. The only difference is, is that the adult child gets to have a little say in the consent and so forth of, of moving that along. So if you have an adult child who wants to be adopted, then it's almost, and by a step parent, it's almost the identical procedure. So why would you want to adopt a, an adult child? Well, maybe it's because you, you're, you need to get them on your health insurance. You know, most health insurance companies uh, require there to be some type of uh, contact. Maybe you want this, uh, maybe you've been in this child's life its whole time and, you know, the child comes to you and says, you know, I would really like to be adopted by you. You know, you've been in my life since I was a kid and I would like to, to be adopted and that's something that I would like you to do. And the, uh, the parent uh, can make that decision at that point, as, both as an adult. And so that's, that's an option that exists as well. So that is how you do a child, uh, a step-parent adoption. Now, the other questions that we typically get from people is, is I want to change my child's last name. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to go through the adoption, but I just want to change my child's last name. Maybe uh, what happened was is you had a child and you gave that child the mother's maiden name, and now the mother has married, her name has changed, and uh, the father has a different name. And now this child just sits there with this name that nobody has. Mother doesn't have it. The father doesn't have it. And so you want to change that name. Now, you can do a name change petition of a child with the consent of both parents very easily without having to go through the adoption process. So if you simply just want to change the name of a child, first name or last name, uh, that's not entirely difficult to do and doesn't require somebody to come up and adopt them. So if it's just a name change you're looking for, then that moves forward. And, you know, the other thing that we... You know, a lot of parents, a lot of blended families are concerned about is, is they feel like their one child might be like the odd man out. You know, so if you have a a child from a separate relationship and then you have two or three children together, you know, this one child may feel uh, a little left out of the equation because they have a different name and all that. And usually a name change will, uh, you know, satisfy bringing that child more into the fold of that nuclear family that you have now. So those, uh, those options exist, and those options can happen in that context, and we can help you do all of those, those things. The next side of the adoptions are uh, not dealing with step-parents, but we're dealing with like international adoptions, mm-hmm. or we are dealing with maybe uh, a, a friend of yours died, and you want to adopt their children. 
and you know or or even a, a family member a family member died and you're wanting to adopt their children or something like that those are much more complicated and much more streamlined and the state gets much more involved in those types of relationships those types of settings they're going to order you to uh, go through counseling they're going to have uh, people come out and look at the house to do home studies they're going to do all of the major things that have to be required before the state's going to allow you to adopt uh, domestically a child now internationally it's even more complicated mm -hmm. because you have to satisfy whatever the requirements are of the host country uh, to remove that child from their country and bring it back to the United States. And so when you're doing an international adoption, it's pretty much impossible to do an international adoption without going through an agency mm -hmm. who knows what they're doing and can get you up to speed with what the rules are in Taiwan or in Ethiopia or, or whatever it has to be. You know, there's, there's all these orphan children in the world, but many countries do not allow removal of the uh, orphan children uh, if they're healthy. Now, they'll let the, the disabled children or the non-healthy children leave, but you know, if you want a healthy child, uh, there are very uh, high, uh, high, high um, restrictions on that. And to my knowledge, there's only a couple of countries in the world that allow that to happen. I think there's one in Africa, and, and I think Taiwan may be the only other country right now that allows you to adopt healthy children. Again, disabled children, another story, but uh, healthy children, it's very, very difficult. So you have to use an agency to do that. You have to go through an agency to, to figure that out, and that is above the knowledge base that I currently possess in doing that, except to say you'd have to go through that. Now, domestically, there's a procedure to do that, and we can walk you through that, through how to do home studies and all of that stuff. But internationally, that is how that goes. So you'll have to use the benefit of an international adoption agency to bring a child in, and you have to probably even use the benefit of a domestic agency to do a domestic adoption of a stranger. So if you, you want to get into the foster care system and you find a child in the foster care system that you've fostered and you've decided you want to become a permanent member of your family, uh, there are agencies that can help you do that. One locally is called the Up Center, very good organization out in Norfolk that uh, has an entire foster care program as well as uh, foster care adoption and all of that. So they, they are a great resource if you are interested in that, the Up Center um, just UP, Up Center, they are the people to call locally if you're interested in adopting or, or fostering or things like that. All right, so that's, uh, that's adoptions. Uh, if you have further questions about that, feel free to give us a call and we'll mm -hmm. be happy to answer that through. All righty, so uh, just a reminder for those of you watching on Facebook, we are giving away Tides baseball tickets, so if you want them, just call the uh, studio, 800-1000. And uh, first callers will get these four packs. This is for the May 7th game at Harbor Park. Totally free. No catch. You don't have to listen to timeshare uh, presentation to get them. <laughs> you, just have to, you just have to call and then drive down here to the studio and pick them up. So, uh, 800-1000. I know a lot of people today are out at the festivities in Hampton Roads. There's the Wine Fest, right? Yeah. There's... Um, there's a lot of Cinco de Mayo Fest. I'm actually involved in one with the Davis Corner Rescue Squad. We're doing a, a festival tomorrow night at uh, Grand Affairs. And, Great. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of, lot of taco fests. Uh, I think there is actually even called the Taco Festival uh, going on today. So uh, there's going to be lots and lots of Mexican food. 
you know, the Cinco de Mayo has nothing to do with like Independence Day. Did you know that? A lot of people think Cinco de Mayo right, is right. Uh, Mexican Independence Day, but I, I don't exactly know what Cinco de Mayo is for, but I know it's about some kind of a battle that Mexico had. It seems pretty insignificant, and every time I've been down to Mexico, they don't even know what May 5th is, uh, <laughs> so it's nothing to them, from what I understand. Uh, it's just a, a good day for Americans to, to celebrate, celebrate celebrate Mexico. Yeah. Uh, for you know, It's kind of like if we... Uh, you know, we won some kind of a battle out in uh, Iraq and, you know, all the other world celebrates it. We'd be like, what are you talking about? We don't even know about it. I think that's kind of what Cinco de Mayo is, but it's a great day, a happy, uh, happy festive day. And it uh, looks like the weather may be a little, little yucky tomorrow, but hopefully we get, uh, get a break in that. So, hey, can I offer some insight, man? I appreciate it. Thanks. You listen to the Tim Anderson, Anderson Law Power Hour here on Power 1310. You mentioned 800-1000. And I was just thinking, I would imagine that's a very emotionally difficult time for a biological parent to go through, to have to relinquish complete authority. Yeah. And it works, wow, man, the emotional challenges that could be. But here, I'm sure there are a lot of folks who have those questions that have never been fully answered. So you're the perfect person to talk with. Right. 800-1000. 800-1000. Attorney Tim Anderson. Call with questions. And maybe, respectfully, I'll <laughs> say you have a question about a relationship of a sibling or a daughter or child in your family, talk to a lawyer first. Talk to a lawyer first, okay? 800-1000. 800-1000. Attorney Tim Anderson. So one way to get the biological father, for instance, to give up custody is you can terminate child support when you do that. And one thing that people don't like paying is child support. And especially if they've gotten behind, you know, if you get behind on your child support, they can put you in jail mm -hmm. in Virginia. And uh, they can suspend your driver's license. If you have a professional license like a lawyer or a doctor or a CPA, they can suspend those licenses. And so there are uh, tremendous penalties that come with not paying child support. And uh, by doing an adoption, by that parent terminating their parental rights, they can relieve themselves of the burden, the financial burdens that have been laid on them by a court. And Will the court allow that? They'll look at you first, right? Yeah, no, they'll they'll let you. They'll let you. Yeah, the mother can terminate the uh, the child support case in every case and waive the balance, waive the arrears. Oh, okay. So yeah, they'll they'll let that happen as long mm -hmm. as it's you know you know current current and that's it. And even if it's in arrears, mom can walk away from that if if that's uh, the way that she wants to do it and okay. uh, allows the, uh, the 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 non payer to get out of a huge mess and it could be a, a good carrot to hold over their head as hey sign these papers and this goes away and you mm -hmm. go away <laughs> um, and so that's you know that's that and you know we, we have uh, ha regardless of how big of a uh, how, how insignificant the whole relationship feels it would have to be pretty surreal to sign a piece of paper that says I'm no longer the, the parent of this child yeah, it has to man. be a big deal yeah. so Alrighty, so let's kind of go into uh, the next uh, topic, which is guardianship. Now, guardianship is usually for adults, and we're going to talk about when it might be for children, but uh, a lot of times people call up and say, hey, I want to get guardianship of these kids or something like that. And that's usually not the, the correct terminology. It can be in a very limited circumstance, but usually when you're going after some type of, uh, some type of, custodial relationship of a child that's called custody. But in uh, a guardian situation, a guardian is, in a, is a proceeding that we file that deals with 
somebody who is usually over the age of 18 and is unable to make their own decisions. So we often get called in my office towards the end of someone's life, usually an elderly person, and they are very old or uh, and they're very sick. They may have Alzheimer's. They may have mm-hmm. some type of dementia. They may have something that's prohibiting them from being able to do things. And the family members uh, want to place the parent in a nursing home or in some type of an assisted care facility. And the nursing home says, well, give me the power of attorney. And so the, the, you know, the children call, uh, the adult children are calling us and say, hey, I need to get a power of attorney for my mom and my dad so I can get them into a nursing home. Unfortunately, if your parent is at that state when they're unable to, to understand what they're doing or understand right and wrong and they're just totally out of it, then they are unable to sign a power of attorney. Now, they may be able to sign their name to a piece of paper, but they're not able to legally give you their power of attorney because they're not competent mm-hmm. to understand the document that they're signing. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, if you're talking about somebody who thinks that Richard Nixon is still the president, and right. you know, has no idea who you are, you know, you're the child and has no idea who you are, then you'll be in a situation where you'll be uh, unable to just sign a very simple power of attorney that you could maybe print offline. So what you have to do in a situation like that is go through a guardianship proceeding. And guardianship is a difficult and long and arduous process. And surprisingly, under the law, it is one of the very few things that a judge could actually civilly be sued for if he did something improper. Judges get tremendous immunity in Virginia for all of their decisions. If they make a wrong decision, you know, if I put you in jail uh, incorrectly, you know, like I found you guilty of committing a crime and that was wrong. You can't sue me as a judge. Uh, But in a situation where with guardianship, there is some provisions where the law allows uh, somebody to pursue a judge if they made a a decision like this. Because being a guardian uh, requires the court to make a very important finding, and that is you are incompetent. Now, making an incompetent finding takes away your voting rights. It takes away your ability to drive a car. It takes away every right you have of freedom of movement and uh, restricts that to this person that you're appointing to be that person's guardian. So you lose all of your freedom of movement, and you are now essentially on house arrest in as easy as can be discussed, on house arrest uh, under the care and custody of the person who the guardian uh, has appointed. And now this guardian who has control of your body can do really anything they want with you. They can put you in a nursing home. They can put you in a uh, assisted care facility. They can take you to the hospital. They can, they, they are essentially in control of your body. And so that's a big deal. You know, that's a huge, huge thing to do to somebody and judges don't take this uh, responsibility lightly. So what they do is they require you to go through some pretty big hurdles. First step is going to be you have to have a lawyer appointed by the court to represent the guardian, the person who needs the guardianship. So if you have an old you know, parent with Alzheimer's, you've got to get a lawyer that's appointed to just represent them. They, they, and they need to go out and they need to meet with 
this person and you know talk to the doctors and talk to the caretakers and and just get a feel as to whether this person is out of it in the way that you know we're alleging now before we even start the file uh, we ask you to get a, a doctor's letter that basically just briefly describes this person's condition so you know a doctor writes a two-paragraph letter that says hey I know Tom's Tom Jones and he I, he's under my care and Tom Jones suffers from uh, Alzheimer's and dementia uh, he is not likely to recover from this uh, symptom and he will uh, in in all extent and purposes uh, continue to get worse mm. so it just has to say that just a little paragraph and then that's kind of what starts the case then we file the petition and then we ask the court to appoint a guardian uh, ad litem for the uh, for the person who we're seeking guardianship of and then the petitioner who's usually a family member steps up and says hey I you know my parent is in need of guardianship and I want to do it and you know here's the doctor's letter that says why why they need it and then the kind of the procedure goes forward in that way now what's complicated about this is you could have <laughs> if and and, you, and if those of you who are listening to this show uh, know some people like this you could have a very charismatic parent <laughs> yes all right yes who you know, isn't drooling at the mouth and sitting in a wheelchair and totally inaudible. They could be just a, you know, a heck of a nice guy, <laughs> you know, fun to hang out with and, and, you know, kind of slap, you know, slap back happy kind of guy and, you know, hard to dislike, you know, so we're not, we're not talking about, you know, just somebody who can't move, you know, you may have just a parent that is a super nice person, but they're just making terrible decisions. You know, they're, Every time somebody calls them and says, hey, you've won, uh, you have $50 million from an ancestor in Nigeria, all you got to do is send us 2000 bucks, and we're going to get this check off to you. And mm -hmm. your parent, you know, falls for that and keeps falling for it and, you know, being gullible and gullible and gullible, uh, and they're just burning through all of their assets. Uh, you, were, you know, these are situations where, you know, they may, they may need some protection. Well, you know, if you have a, a charismatic parent and they're, mobile and maybe they're driving and all of that and they're just burning through the money the court's not going to give you guardianship of them if they're just making bad decisions mm -hmm. uh, but they will uh, make you know that decision if they're totally incapable of caring for themselves and taking care of their uh, their their financial needs now uh, if you have parents that are uh, that have Alzheimer's and or dementia and you know they could have good days and they could have bad days and you know the when the when the court appointed representatives are going out there to talk to them they may have a situation where there's some good days coming on and they may be lucid and a able to have a conversation and and trick the guardian uh, at that point into thinking that they may be be better and so sometimes it may require one or two visits by the court appointed guardian to Make sure that this person is truly out of it because it is a very, very, very big deal to do this. So once all of that's been done and everybody's in agreement, then uh, there's a hearing. And at the hearing, the person who's you're trying to get guardianship of generally does not come to court because they have this court-appointed lawyer that 
is going to speak on their behalf. Now, this court-appointed lawyer is independent, doesn't work for for you, doesn't work for, for me as the lawyer. They're totally independent. They just work for the court, and they come to court, and they tell the judge what the deal is. And if the judge is satisfied that this person does possess some type of an illness or injury, that they are uh, totally incapable of moving forward with their lives uh, independently, then he'll enter this order. All right. Once that's entered, it's entered for life. It doesn't change until it's been modified, so you don't have to renew it or do anything that will uh, have to, it's not like you have to go back to court every year or something for a status check. Now, let's say that you have a situation where you have a loved one that was in a terrible car accident and suffered severe brain injury. And you go through this process of guardianship and, you know, years pass and this person's actually gotten better, you know, gotten to at least a minimal threshold of being able to take care of themselves. If that happens, then there can be a petition to terminate the guardianship based off on the change of circumstances that existed in that person's life. So you have those, uh, those options to get this guardianship order uh, terminated if there is improvement that was not anticipated when the court initially entered that. Now, when you are somebody's guardianship, guardian, you are under the jurisdiction of the court. So if there's something that you're doing that would be improper, the court can intervene. If you're doing something that's not in this person's best interest, the court could intervene. There's all kinds of circumstances where a guardian could uh, be removed or disqualified or transferred or uh, there's all all these things that can happen but we we can get into that uh, you know get into that role where just because the or- the order's entered doesn't mean nobody's looking at you so there can always be review with the court all right so once the guardianship uh, has been entered then you're allowed to do everything with that person that they would otherwise be able to do. You can take them to the doctor. You can take them to a hospital. You can get emergency treatment or surgical treatment, or you can uh, put them in a nursing home or an assisted care facility. You can basically do everything that they could do except deal with their money. So guardianship does not give you the permission to deal with their money. And if, they, if there is a money situation that needs to be dealt with, then you have to go through and ask to also be appointed to be their conservator. Now, conservator uh, is nothing more fancy than basically just being the person who's handling the money. And if if you are going to have to deal with money for these people, uh, then you can ask to be the conservator at the same time you ask to be the guardian. And if the court finds that they need a guardian, they'll find that they need a conservator. And the only question is going to be is whether or not you uh, possess the sufficient financial uh, requisites to be appointed to be somebody's conservator. And, and really the big problem with that is going to be that most of the time when you're dealing with somebody's money, the court's going to make you post some kind of a bond mm-hmm. so that you don't steal it. Mm-hmm. You know, That's mm-hmm. just kind of how it is. And so for you to post a bond, you have to have pretty good credit. And you know, a bonding company is going to put this money up to say that it's called a fidelity bond. You're going to put, put up this money that says, hey, you know, a million bucks, if you steal this person's money, we will pay it to them. And, you know, they're not going to write a million-dollar bond without, you have you know, having good credit or good financial status. So even if you are, you know, love your, your family very much, you may have terrible credit. And if that's the case, you may not be able to be the conservator just because uh, of your personal financial circumstances because you won't be able to post the bond that's required. 
So, so that's uh, that's uh, guardianship and conservators of 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 elderly people. Now, the where this will come in uh, for younger folks is if you are a parent of a disabled child. So let's say you have a child with Down syndrome, uh, or you have a lower functioning autistic child, and you know, once, you know, it's all fine until they're 18, but then when they're 18, they're considered an adult under the law, and you have to go through this procedure to become their, the child's guardian. And, you know, it's essentially the same process. It's just you are filing it when this child is, uh, you know, as soon as a child hits 18, you know, an order is being entered that they're incompetent and not going to get better, and and then you're appointed to be the uh, the guardian after after the fact, and you know probably one of the biggest fears that I deal with with parents is is that they are worried that they will live longer than uh, their their disabled children, and you know who's going to take care of the disabled child, and what's going to happen you know after the parent dies, and so these are these are complicated questions that families have to answer when you have a situation involving a disabled child, but. Uh, rest assured that you know if you do have a disabled child, uh, the state does have lots of very good uh, fallback programs that will people will step up. Uh, like for instance, Catholic Charities has one here locally, where they will come up and be your uh, disabled child's guardian if you know if you die before they're you know before they do. So, so there are options to do that with uh, with uh, to become a guardian of a child in that way. All right. Next part of this subject is, is, you know, I'm going on vacation for summer or my kids are going to go on vacation this summer and spend the summer with the grandparents. So I want to give them guardianship. That's what we hear all the time. Oh, really? Okay. So that's the wrong term. So that's, that's where guardianship doesn't work. <laughs> all right. That's, that's what. Okay. You got me. Okay. They're like, hey, we want, we want to give my parent, parent guardianship of the children. So we, we don't transfer guardianship of your, you know, nine and 10 year old to your parents for the summer vacation. Right. <laughs> so what you do in a situation like that, it's pr- very easy. This is a very simple legal thing to do. It doesn't cost a lot of money, but we just basically prepare a simple power of attorney. Okay. And a power of attorney basically says, I'm the parent of these children, and these children are going to the, my parents' house for two months. And while they're there, my parents have all the rights and authority to take them to the hospital and provide emergency medical care and do anything that I would be able to do as a parent. It's a simple power of attorney. It gives it to them. And then, you know, if the children get in a situation where the grandparents have to take the child to the emergency room, okay, they have yeah, the document. Yeah. And, of course, you know, obviously, if your kids are going to the emergency room, you're probably on a plane the very next day anyway. But, you know, this gets them uh, able to do that emergency medical treatment. Uh, you know, this is, uh, this is common, especially, like, on cruises. You know, if your grandparents, the grandparents are going to take the grandkids on a cruise, you know, the, the cruise lines are going to want to see some type of... Uh, some type of power of attorney from the parent. Uh, these are situations that are going to involve just simple power of attorneys. Now, having said everything that I've said, all of this could be avoided with a power of attorney, at least for the parents. So if you are of sound mind today, you need to, sign, you need to endorse some power of attorneys. All right, You need to say, hey, if I can't make medical or financial decisions, I want somebody to make those for me. I don't care if you're 25 or 65. All right, if you're healthy and you can make, you know, you can sign a document, get a power of attorney, 
uh, in place because you could get hit by a bus tomorrow, all right? And if you get hit by a bus tomorrow and you're, you know, unconscious and you have a brain injury, then, you know, somebody's going to have to go through a tremendous amount of work to become your guardian just because you didn't simply state what your intention was on a power of attorney. Mm -hmm. So uh, definitely, uh, if you haven't done it, put this on your, you know, to-do list, get a power of attorney in place. Now it's, you know, a medical one and a financial one could cost you a couple hundred dollars. If you use a lawyer, uh, it's not a lot of money and will give you the, the ability to say, hey, if I go down right now, due to an accident or an injury, and somebody has to make decisions for me, then I appoint this person to make those decisions, and then they have full authority to do it. You don't have to go through the guardianship thing. You don't have to do all that. Uh, the only thing is, is that at the time the person is signing it, they have to be uh, of sound mind and able to understand where, that, where that's going. So obviously you can't do that with a disabled child uh, you know, who may have a you know, third-grade mentality uh, or a three-year-old mentality. Uh, but you can certainly do it with an adult parent who's competent, and uh, you want to get that done. Uh, you want to get that done for yourself. You want to get that done for your family. Power of attorney should be in place for everybody uh, who is walking around to avoid the possibility of mm -hmm. having to go through that kind of unnecessary complication. Okay, so next, uh, next part of the guardianship and uh, situations involve uh, annulments. Now, I know this might seem kind of like a little weird leap to jump into an annulment, but there, uh, there are, uh, there is a very interesting thing in the law that says that spouses are responsible for other spouses' medical bills. Okay, it's called the doctrine of necessities. Now, why that is uh, important to know is that if you are married and your spouse gets into a terrible accident and may be uninsured, then their medical bills become your medical bills. So if they're in intensive care, they're in a situation involving you know tremendous ongoing medical care and medical treatment, every day that goes by, you are, rec you are on the hook. So this is, you don't even really have a bankruptcy option here because... You could file bankruptcy today and get out of all the medical bills that occurred through today, but you, you know, tomorrow there's another $10,000 of bills, you know, I mean, just, so y there's, there's no good option here uh, in a situation where you have, uh, you're married and you're, you know, you have a spouse who's in a critical care kind of a situation. So there are ways of uh, terminating a marriage uh, dealing with, you know, in a situation where somebody's, uh, somebody's in this kind of a situation. And there, there could be an annulment option or there could be a divorce option. But in order to commence either of those actions, somebody has to be that person's guardian. You can't serve and sue somebody who's incapacitated. And, you know, you may be in a situation where your spouse is... It, you know, is in is in a terminal vegetative state, and you are on the hook for their medical bills moving forward. And at some point, you have to move on. You have to end that relationship because you're, you know, I mean, you have to move on for one thing, but you also have to uh, terminate your liability under the law for the necessary medical bills. And so, 
So annulments and divorces uh, are common in situations where you may have somebody who's just brain dead and just living, continues to live in some type of persistent vegetative state, and then you're just being clobbered with medical bills, and you have to get out of that, but you can't get out of that uh, until that person has a guardian. So there's lots of, you know, all of this kind of intertwines and intermingles uh, in a situation. I don't know if anybody remembers the Terry Shalvo case down in Florida where the... the mm, yes, we do, yes. Yeah, that, yeah. Lady, that lady down there. So basically, mm-hmm. her story was this. She was being kept alive. Mm-hmm. She was brain dead. And the husband was like, hey, I'm ready to move on. This has been this is a long time, like two years. She's been in this condition mm-hmm. for two years. She's not coming out of it. I need to move on with my life. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I want to get a divorce and I want to, you know, move on and pull the plug. He wanted to end her life. Uh, and the parents were very uh, adamant about keeping her alive because, you know, as a parent, you know, if a doctor tells you there's a 1% chance that they're going to come out of it, you're going to hold on to that 1% uh, as, as long as, as it can, even though there's realistically no chance of that ever happening. So he wanted to end her life so that he can move on, and the parents fought with them about that. It went all the way up to the Florida legislature. It was a total mess down there, but these are real situations that are, uh, that happen to people, and you know, you never think it's going to happen to you because you're healthy. You're walking around, you're young, you're healthy, you feel good, but anybody could be in a terrible car accident. You know, anybody could be in a situation where your life changes in an instant. Uh, and without legal documents in place, appointing somebody to, to make medical and financial decisions for you, uh, allowing somebody to, to step in your shoes if you can't step in those, uh, really d- puts you at a disadvantage and puts everybody who loves you at a disadvantage. You know, maybe Terry didn't want to be kept alive, you know, in that situation. And then she could have had a document that said that, hey, if I'm in a persistent vegetative state, I don't want to be kept alive. But she never signed those documents, and it created a total mess for that whole family. Yeah. You said uh, two types of uh, power of attorney. You said financial and medical. Yep. So medical would have been the situation, what she should have signed. Great advice that you're giving us. We should all have those two in place. Yep. And then, okay. and then in Virginia, we also have it called a living will or what's called an advanced medical directive. Okay, and, yeah. and that's just, okay. uh, that's just a document that says, hey, if I'm persistent vegetative state, I don't want to be in that. You know? mm-hmm. Two doctors say, I'm done and I'm only being kept alive artificially, let's go ahead and remove that life support. I don't want anybody to have to make that decision. I'm making that decision for you today, that if I'm in that position, I don't want to live that way. So that is how you get uh, around a lot of this guardianship nonsense. Yeah. You know? Can I go back to that for quite, uh, just a second? Because I remember there was a case of a young girl uh, who went to the dentist, or she went, had a medical procedure, had her tonsils taken out, and the procedure went awry, and her parents were determined. It was in New Jersey. Her parents were determined to keep her alive. I think her name was Jamaica. I don't remember the exact details, of, it, but that was part of the process. And either, either it was uh, her tonsils were removed or she caught some type of bacteria being in a pool. And it made the case and uh, made the legislature and uh, made the news headlines in New Jersey. And tragically and sadly, she passed away about two years ago. But I think they kept her on life support for years. Mm-hmm. So... Should a parent have that for the child? Am I asking the right question, or just for the parents? Just for the parents. Just yeah, for the parents. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't be able to do that for the child okay. uh, in that yeah. situation. Now, the parent may be able to make the decision, you know, on their own, you okay. know, what they're going to do with that. Uh, but, but yeah, you have to be you have to be an adult to okay. sign these okay. documents, mm-hmm. right. and you have to have the capacity to enter into a contract. So, yeah, that's a those are 
you know, tough tra- cases, tragic situations, yeah. and you know, you can you can't you can't predict everything that could happen to you, but you can take a few small steps that don't cost a lot of money and get things put in place that will reasonably protect you down the road. Mm-hmm. Now, where guardianship could possibly come in for children, kind of flipping back to this, deals with a situation when you are you both you and your spouse die and your children are still children. All right. Inside of a will, we can put some special language in a will that says if both you and your spouse die, you're going to appoint somebody to be the guardian of your children until they are 18 years old, until they're adults. And that is a, a limited situation where guardianship is properly used in the, ter- in the terminology that we are appointing a guardian and then also a trustee for the, for the children. And so we would do that in a will, all right? So if, if I die and my spouse dies, both of our wills, which say the same thing, say that we want our, you know, grandparent, you know, their grandparents to take care of the children, or we want, you know, a sister to take care of the children or a brother to take care of the children, whatever that is, we decide that as a marital unit of who we want to become the guardians uh, of the uh, children. And this is, a, again, a limited situation involving both biological parents dying. The law mm-hmm. would say that if mm-hmm. both biological parents mm-hmm. die, the children are considered orphans. That's the mm-hmm. true legal definition of an orphan, meaning they have no biological parents. And so if you both die today, then the state comes in on a very quick basis. Child Protective Services comes in. They scoop these kids up, and they get them into a foster care situation. Now, mm-hmm. most importantly, they're going to try to get these children to family members if they can find family members. And if they don't, there's emergency foster care parents all over the, the state. Literally, 2 o'clock in the morning, kids are being dropped off at somebody's house mm-hmm. You know, at 2 o'clock in the morning on an emergency basis where uh, parents have died or maybe they've been put in jail or something like that's happened but there's a situation where kids are being shuttled to an emergency foster care situation and then you know when when all the kind of the dust settles hopefully families moving in to try to get these kids and and then you know it goes through this process where we're trying to become the uh the custodial representative of the children and you know in a situation where both parents died that is an example of when you could move for adoption of the children. So if, if you have a sister who died and she had mm. kids, a mm. uh, sister and her husband both died, and you are the you know the aunt and you have these children now and you want to adopt them, then there's you know there's procedures of how to do that uh, after they've lived with you for a couple of years. So uh, there's lots of all of this is all intertwined and intermingled, uh, but the the adage that a uh, how does it go? A pinch of preventative is worth a pound of cure. Uh, Ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure. Yeah, there you go. All right, great, great. There you go. So I'm never good at those little <laughs> antidotes, but uh, that's that's very true. You know, as a uh, as a listener, as somebody who might be listening to this show a year in the future from now, getting a will with a you know with some language about who you want your kids to go to. Uh, if you both die, getting a power of attorney that says, hey, if I go down, I want this person to be able to make these decisions for me, getting a, a financial power of attorney, getting a medical power of attorney that says, hey, I want these situations to happen if I go down, 
getting a living will that says, hey, if I'm in a you know, persistent vegetative state, I'm going to not want to be in that position. I don't want to lay in a bed in perpetuity just wasting away. I'd rather pull the plug, donate my organs. That's my, you know, that's my intention. That's what I would rather do uh, with, you know, with my life. Doing those documents, you know, for you and your spouse, you know, I don't, every lawyer charges something different, but it's, it's hundreds of dollars to do, not thousands, and it covers 90% of the bad that can happen in your life. Uh, and, you know, once those documents are in place, they're in place forever. Okay. You know, until yeah. you revoke them. So you don't have to change them at all, and they're, they're totally in place, and they're, they're good to go. So... Uh, we've covered in this segment guardianship, we've covered adoptions, and we've covered power of attorneys. And those are the, the, the big topics of this show. Uh, we'll, I'm going to kind of circle back here in just a second, but Mark, how did you feel about that? Did you have anything else? Well, I don't mind sharing this with our listeners, but uh, you talked about uh, adoption and so forth. I was a foster kid at one time. Oh, wow. And even as a foster kid, I can remember vividly those questions. Will I be able to go back with my mom and dad? You know, and the social workers, I think sometimes at that time, social workers weren't necessarily getting a fair share. But this lady, she was so very compassionate and very understanding. And she says, no, our first goal is to get you back with your parents. But that was a thought as a 14-year-old kid that I had. It's like, wow. So when you start talking about that, it's like it started taking me back to where I was living in Newport News on 23rd and Parish Avenue <laughs> from home folks there. <laughs> yeah, It was a traumatic time as a kid, but then uh, I just remember uh, those questions, and it's like, wow. Now I'm listening to you, and it's like, it makes perfectly good sense. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it. We have, uh, I, I volunteer with a group called Tidewater Youth Services, mm-hmm. and uh, they, are a, uh, uh, they run group homes here in Hampton Roads for children that are a little bit more at risk, you know, not not in the not in juvenile justice, but mm-hmm. just kind of on the gotcha. fringe. We're yeah. about to go to juvenile justice, yeah. and you know one thing that one experience that I've had, and they run this big foster care uh, program just like the Up Center does too. And uh, one thing that I have seen every time I go to one of these group homes, or every time I deal with one of the foster parents, is is that the people that are doing it are doing it because they really care about. That's right. About you're the right, people. Tim. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. so you you know. You, you, you hear all these bad stories, but yeah. I, every time I've seen something, nobody's making any money here. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're all living very, very meagerly in their paychecks or whatever compensation they're receiving, but they're doing it because they care, they, they care and they yeah, want to try right. to make a difference in that yeah. child's life. So so if you, uh, you know, a little plug for the Up Center, a little plug for uh, Tidewater Youth, uh, yeah, both sure really enough. great organizations, and if you have interest in... Uh, trying to make a difference, uh, foster care could be a, a tremendous thing to somebody like uh, Mark. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it uh, kind of reminds me of uh, Buddy the Elf uh, from uh, the movie The Elf. Did you ever see that movie? <laughs> it's out of my league, Where, out of my uh, demographic. <laughs> Where Will Ferrell was, uh, uh, Santa Claus brought Will Ferrell as a baby back to the North Pole, and he was a human, but he was much bigger. Okay. I'm sure that must have been what it was like with your foster parent, because you're yeah. this huge guy, and <laughs> you probably okay. had to... Had to have the thresholds opened up a little bit. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, int- all all good stuff. So, um, you know, so here's uh, here's you know just kind of the, the very very uh, uh, summarized parts of the show. The the three minutes we have left in the show. Uh, Step parents can do adoptions if you have the consent of the biological parent. Uh, you can get guardianship of your disabled children. 
until they are, uh, once they turn 18 years old. You don't need it before they're 18. You can get guardianship of children if both parents are deceased. You can give power of attorneys to family members for short terms. So if kids are going on family vacations this summer, you can do a power of attorney. You yourself should have a will. If you have young children, you should say where those children need to go if both of you die. You can have a power of attorney that says, I want somebody to make medical decisions for me if I can't make them. You should have a, medical, a financial power of attorney that says, hey, I uh, want to make uh, somebody to make financial decisions for me if I can't make them. And then you should have a living will that says, if I am in a persistent vegetative state, then I want to not be in that, that condition. Or maybe you do. I mean, that's your, it's your, your call, but most people would say no to. Uh, so if you call 800-1000, show's about over, but we still have these uh, four-packs tied tickets, so you are welcome to them. Just call and uh, leave a message with your name and number, and we will get those to you. That's what people have been doing uh, last week. As soon as I left here, we had like three or four messages with the uh, phone number because a lot of people watch our Facebook Live All right. uh, after the fact. So 800-1000, we'll get that. I won't ring into the studio after uh, we leave here, but it'll be, be that way. My name is Tim Anderson. I'm an attorney here in Hampton Roads. My office is at 2492 North Landing Road in Virginia Beach. I handle mostly bankruptcy, criminal defense, uh, estate, uh, and civil law. You can find us at virginialawoffice.com. I'm licensed here in Virginia and North Carolina. Call us first with any of your legal issues, and if we can't help you, we will get you to the right person who can. Thanks for listening to Hampton Roads, and see you next week. Go, con go, go, go for the Kentucky Derby. I, again, one, two, three. Uh, bet that trifecta, because let's just see. Nobody's going to be able to pick it anyway. One, two, three, maybe that will uh, uh, be a moneymaker for <laughs> us all. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it as always. Looking forward to another great show next Saturday, as we are on here, Power 1310, Saturday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Th thank you again for listening to the Anderson Law Power Hour. The views expressed in this episode are, ep are solely those of the participants of the show and do not necessarily reflect the views held by Max Media or its affiliates. The show is hosted by a sharp guy, attorney Tim Anderson. Results in any legal case are never guaranteed, and previous results are no indication of future results. Now, by participating in the broadcast, you realize it's for informational purposes only. There is no attorney-client relationship or privilege to any caller who participates. Also, you acknowledge that your voice may be used as part of the broadcast or promotion. Advice given by attorney Anderson on this broadcast is not a replacement to consulting with an attorney directly about your case. There's no attorney-client privilege or relationship. Anderson Law, as you mentioned, is a firm located at 2492 North Landing Road, Suite 104 in Virginia Beach, 800-1000, We'll look forward to catching you next Saturday morning, but feel free to call that number anytime, 800-1000. Catch you next time with Anderson Law Power Hour here on Power 1310. Hello? Hello. This is a prepaid collect call from Tom, an inmate at Virginia Beach Jail. To accept charges, press 1. You may start the conversation now. Hello? Hey, it's Tom. I'm so sorry to call you. I just got arrested for DUI. Can you pick me up at the jail? Oh my gosh, of course. What happened? I was stopped at a checkpoint. They're saying I blew a .12. My car was towed and I got arrested. I have papers that say I can't drive for seven days. I don't know what to do. 
I can't believe this. I'm on my way. But call attorney Tim Anderson right now. You can call his number collect from the jail. You need to get him on your case right away. I will. What's his number? It's easy to get charged with DUI in Virginia. If you're charged, hiring an attorney immediately is the first step to making sure your rights are protected. Call or text Tim Anderson today at 800-1000. He's been